We believe missions is a central part of what we do. And yet, if you were online with us last week and not in person, you heard me say this, but most of you were here. John Piper has eloquently pointed out that missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. And that missions exist because worship doesn't. And what he means by that is the ultimate goal is every tongue confessing, every knee bowing to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now we know that at one day, according to Philippians chapter 2, that that's going to happen. But our job and our goal is to get as many people as possible worshiping the Lord during our time here on earth. Now that starts with us worshiping the Lord in the totality of what that means for our lives. Not just singing songs on Sunday morning, although that's part of it. Not just hearing a sermon on Sunday morning, although that's part of it. But living a life that is flaming hot, passionately devoted to Jesus Christ. In fact, it says that worship is the goal Worship is the fuel for missions. The goal of missions is to bring the nations, as we heard last week from our missionaries that were here in person, all peoples, ethnic groups, every tribe, every tongue, every language, to bring them into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory to where they are overflowing with worship for Him. That's our goal. The fuel of that, what fuels us that, is that our lives are so captured by the glory of Jesus Christ that we tell Him wherever, whenever, however, we will go. Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of Your truth, we wait for You. For Your name and Your renown are the desire of our souls. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at people whose lives were ignited for the glory of God that led them to go. And here's my conviction. And I'm just going to lay it out on the table for those of you that are here today online or in person. My conviction is that one of the things that has happened in the American church, has happened in churches like ours and even ours, is that we have failed to adequately call out people to specialized missions to go around the world or around the earth for the glory of God. Because to think that God would place the number of people that are in this room, in this room together, and tell us that our only purpose and reason for being here is just the area around our church when there are billions that have not heard the message of Jesus Christ is not in line with the history of what God has called his people to do. And there are some of us in this room who perhaps have missed that moment or that calling, or we think we have. There are some of you in this room who have not yet come to that place of understanding God's calling on your life, but perhaps that's what it is. Whether that's in full-time Christian ministry or that is literally to go to the ends of the earth. And over the next three weeks, my goal is to remind us from Scripture the basis for us going. We did that a little bit last week. I'd encourage you, if you were here and were in the part of the missionaries, man, it was an awesome time to be here, but find the sermon from last week online that I did that talks about kind of the basis for this. And then today we're going to talk about what assurances we have in the midst of it. Last week we started talking about Jim Elliott, who is famous for being martyred 
with a tribe that had never heard the gospel, of being famous for saying, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to attain that which he cannot lose. His wife would eventually go back with others to that same tribe and they would be converted to Christianity and would begin to spread the gospel in that area of the Amazon. This week we're going to talk about one of the pioneers of the American Baptist missionary movement. Now, Aaron Judson is the, considered the father of American Baptist missions. I think we've got a nice portrait of Adoniram Judson. There he is. Doesn't he? he looks like a great young man, all right? He was born in 1788 and died in 1850. He was buried at sea after serving until he literally could not serve anymore and got on a ship to come back to America, died on the trip, and they, on the, and they just dumped him overboard. One scholar has said that by whatever measure you measure Judson, the judgment is always the same. He was a mighty man. But today we're not going to talk about him. We're going to talk about his wife, Anne. Anne Hasseltine Judson. This is a picture of her, obviously not a uh, photograph of her, it's a drawing of her. She was an amazing woman of God who joined her husband on a trip to the unknown. They literally sailed for a country they never made because they weren't allowed into, and it ended up in a country they never intended to where they lived until her death. She was a woman that was so captivated by Christ that she would do whatever he called her to do. I want to do that against the backdrop of Romans chapter 8 because her life shows us the ways in which God will provide for us even in difficult circumstances. So Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 28. Some of the most familiar verses in Scripture. I love these verses. There's so many truths in them, but I want to break them down for us today a little bit about what it means for us and how we can understand it. Romans 8:28 says this, And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Three things I want us to see in this passage today that help us to understand how somebody like Anne Hasseltine Judson 
can give up absolutely everything, can endure an unbelievable stretch of misfortune and still praise the name of Jesus. And the first thing that we see in this passage is that we can go where God calls us to go and do what God calls us to do because we have His providence. There are no accidents in the life of a believer. No coincidences. Growing up, I had a relative, used to call them quinky dinks. I don't know what that means. But it was these things that just kind of happened. And you're like, wow, that's, that's interesting. Like, coincidental, like all of that. But Scripture makes it very clear that it is not coincidence that rules our lives. It is the providence of God. That in His sovereignty there are things that He allows and things that He weaves together based on the fact that He is working our lives towards the goal that He has for us. It tells us in verse 28 that we have this certain promise for we know. The word there, know, means to absolutely, without a doubt, know. That there is no doubt about this. That this is a confidence that is there. That it is comprehensive. We know that all things work together. Y'all know this, right? All means all. All things in our lives, good, bad, indifferent, things done to us, things we do to others, things that we sin upon, things that are sinned upon us, good things, blessings, that God takes all those things that happen in our lives. Now, it's important to understand God doesn't send all those things, God doesn't cause all those things, but God takes all those things and works them together for the good It's a comforting promise. It's not for evil. It's not for bad. That He's moving all of this together for good. For whom? For those who love God. For those of us that are followers of Jesus. For those of us that are part of God's family. According to His purpose. And so no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what difficulty comes in our lives, God is able to take it and to work it and to move it and to get it together into a way that it is good for us and moves us in a direction towards what He has called us to do. That means no matter your background, no matter your your lines, day if you're here and you one of the reasons Mother's Day is difficult because you don't have a great relationship with your mother or you miss your mom or perhaps it's difficult because you haven't had that experience with your own children that you've desired, that one of the things that we know, whether that's your history or whether you have a history of no parental involvement at all or you've got great parental involvement, whether you've got a history of growing up in poverty or riches, that God can take every bit of that and will for those that are called according to His purpose and work it and weave it together for good. And this is confirmed by the next two verses because He tells us that He knew in advance who would accept Christ, become His children. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of His Son. He called us out. That is the phrase that is used again and again in Scripture. We are called out ones, the ones called out from the world. We have been chosen by Him. We will be justified. That means made right with Christ as if we never sinned. And that one day we are going to be glorified, made completely perfect in Him. He says, listen, what God is doing in your life is those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ, He knew you were going to do it from the 
the beginning. He called you out. He predestined you to be pulled out of this world. And he has already made you right with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he is forming you into what he has called you to be. And one day he is going to wrap all of this up together. And in glory you are going to be perfected by the same God. He's working it all together. So here's what that means for us. It means that no matter what God calls us to do on this earth, obedience to Him is worth more than anything this earth can offer. Anne Hasseltine was born just before Christmas in 1789. Bradford, Massachusetts, she was the youngest of five children, born to a man named John Hasseltine who wasn't particularly the most religious man in town. In fact, he owned a dance hall in town. I know in a Baptist church that's scandalous, right? But it was a community center where people came together. She had a great childhood. She had a great friendships. She had enjoyment. They talked to, when she describes her childhood, she talks about it being fun, but not necessarily committed. In 1805, a new teacher came to the school that she was a part of that had a Christian background, as most schools did in that day. And that teacher called them to a deeper life and began to show them from scriptures where their lives needed to be. Around the age of 16, she publicly confessed her sin. She gave her life to Jesus Christ and almost immediately began to call out others and to be an evangelist for Christ. She took a job teaching at 17. When asked her goals of why she was teaching at 17, she began to talk about the other teachers in that school who were yet unsaved, and she was called to minister to them. And she said, this is a temporary step until God calls me to do something else. As she was growing up into her early 20s, she met a man named Ananiram. Ananiram and her began to see each other a little bit in court in whatever ways that was back in those days. But she knew from the very beginning that his desire was to go overseas, even though the Congregationalist fellowship and church they were part of had never sent, and I mean not just their local church, the church at large from them had never sent anyone on mission overseas. And he was petitioning with other people to go, and then he decided he wanted to marry her, and he knew those things had to go together. And so in the ultimate late 1700s move, he wrote a letter to her dad to ask him for her hand in marriage. And the opening line is one of the boldest and most audacious opening lines I have ever read. This is what he asked. Now think, dad's in the room, all right, just for a moment. Imagine you get this letter. I have now to ask whether you are content to part with your daughter early next spring to never see her again in this world. All right. That may want to start with a softer line than that, right? Like, like, hey, I'm just wondering if you'd be okay with never seeing your daughter again. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps even a violent death. At least he got cheerier going on, right? Then he turns the screw. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of Jesus, who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? 
And for the sake of the perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from the saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Now that's a proposal for marriage, right? And she knew that marrying him would mean literally going to the ends of the earth. About 13 months after that letter was written, they married. And within a few days, they spent their honeymoon sailing for Calcutta. To which they would never make it because when they got there, they wouldn't let them in. And they ended up in Burma, which is not what they intended And she would spend the next seven years learning the language because there were no grammars or written books to help her. The entire time she would write about and talk about the fact that God had been providing for them and preparing her for this moment her entire life. Here's my question for you. What has God been preparing you for your entire life? And my guess is it's probably something grander and bigger on a scale that you never imagined. Because God doesn't do small things with a life that's been prepared for a lifetime. Not only do we have His providence that can encourage us in those moments, we have His power. The next few verses here in Romans 8 remind us of what God has done for us. He gives us this picture almost of a courtroom where we stand accused and the judge looks and says, what should I do with them? And we have an advocate, a lawyer, if you will, who is right and just, who declares us innocent because of what they have done, that they took our punishment, and that the ultimate judge and God looks at our advocate and says, because of your action, your client has been released. It says that Christ brought us salvation and that He died for us, that He was raised for us, that He was exalted for us. And then this is just an amazing thing, that He consistently intercedes for us even now. He is consistently praying for you and for me. Listen, I am thankful for the people in this church who tell me on a regular basis that they pray for me. I am in desperate need of your prayers as your pastor, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm unashamed to tell you that I need them. But when I think of the fact that my Savior is interceding for me, it is a blessing that I cannot even grasp. Verses 35 through 37 tell us that we can't be separated, that affliction or distress, famine, none of that can separate us. In fact, verse 37 says, even though all those things can come, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. One of the reasons that I thought about talking about Anne today, I was reading through biographies and of course, there's biographies of Adoniram, Adoniram, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, would actually end up having three wives. Anne dies at an early age, and he remarries. 
And then that wife dies and he remarries. But as you're reading that, the story of Adoniram is amazing. And I encourage you to, to go and read some of that. But the story of Anne just tugged at my heart for this day, for Mother's Day. And here's the reason. Anne was a mother. But she was a mother that did not see a child live to the age of three. She had three children. None of them lived to the age of three. And that was just one of the hardships she had. On the way to India, she and her husband, reading the scriptures, were convinced of believers' baptism and decided to denounce the church that had sent them. And they became Baptist instead of Congregationalist. That's why they're the first Baptist missionaries. We didn't even send them. They converted on the way. And because of that, they lost all financial support from the Congregationalists. They were denied entry into India, forced to go to Burma, which is hostile to Christianity. They got there and heard news that her dearest friend, Harriet Newell, that was supposed to join them on the mission field, died in childbirth. At the age of 19, never making it to the mission field. Anne became pregnant and her first child was stillborn. Her second child named Roger died before his first birthday. In 1820, after six years in the field, Anne nearly died. Had to go to Calcutta and eventually back to America to recover. She was separated from her husband for two years while he continued the work. She returned to Burma in 1824. She became pregnant. Almost immediately after that, her husband, fellow missionary Jonathan Price, were imprisoned because of their declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. So imagine that you're away from your husband for two years. You finally get back. And within days of getting back, finding out you're pregnant, and then he's imprisoned for 17 months. The conditions were brutal. He nearly died several times, considered taking his own life, he admits. During this period, Anne gave birth to a girl named Maria. She pled repeatedly for her husband's release from the government, daily walked two miles to and two miles from prison to supply him and others with water and food because they were not getting any of that there. And yet when you read her diary, she talks about how good God has been to them. She bore those sufferings because she knew God would not fail her. And she knew that His mission was worth her life. While she was there, she wrote a letter in an appeal to American women entitled, Address to Females in America Relative to the Situation of Heathen Females in the East. I'm going to read how she closes, and just so you know, it's written in the language of the 1700s, and so there may be some things that are kind of difficult to understand, but just listen for the whole message. She's talking about the fact that women were called to ministry and to missions just like male counterparts. And she says to American women, Shall we, my beloved friends, suffer minds like these to lie dormant, to wither in ignorance and delusion, to grope their way to eternal ruin without an effort on our part to raise, to refine, to elevate, and to point to that Savior who has died equally for them as for us. So we sit down in indolence and ease and indulge in all the luxuries with which we are surrounded, in which our country so bountifully affords, and leave beings like these, flesh and blood, intellect and feeling like ourselves, to perish 
and to sink into eternal misery. No, by all the tender feelings of which the female mind is susceptible, by all the privileges and blessings resulting from the cultivation and the expansion of the human mind, by our duty to God and our fellow creatures, by the blood and groans of Him who died on Calvary, let us make a united effort. Let us call on all, old and young, in the circle of our acquaintance to join us in attempting to change the situation, to instruct and to enlighten And to see females in the Eastern world saved. And through time and circumstances should prove that our united exertions have been ineffectual. We shall escape at death that bitter thought that the Burmese females have been lost without any effort of ours to prevent their ruin. She says, let's do everything we can. And even if they're not saved, at least we will know we have tried. She knew that no matter what was happening, God was going to give her the power to go. Verse 35 of chapter 8 is just, especially when you think about this and all that she went through. Because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. That's the way it had to feel at her at times, that they were being put to death all day long. They were counted as sheep. They were being slaughtered. But verse 37 says, no, no. In spite of the fact that all these things are against us. In spite of the fact that we are facing all of these difficulties. In all things, all things, all things. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. It doesn't matter, she says, what is happening here on this earth. We are going to give every effort to see the saved come to know Christ. The unsaved be changed into the saved. And the last thing we see is not only do we have God's providence and God's power, we also have God's promise. Because she knew that no matter what happened to her on this earth, she would spend eternity with Him. I am persuaded that neither death nor life. I always think it's interesting in that particular passage, and this is the way it is in the original language, They don't put life first. Like when we talk about it, we talk about life and death. Life or death, right? What's first in this passage? Death. Because that seems to be the most powerful. That death cannot separate us. Angels nor rulers. Present things or things to come. Height or depth or anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Anne Hasseltine Judson died at the age of 37. A young woman from a form of meningitis. The child that made it the longest was her daughter Maria, but Maria died a few months after her mom. And from a worldly perspective, we don't have tons of people that were saved, especially during her years in Burma with her husband. But the seeds that they planted would eventually grow and people's lives would be forever changed because she realized that it didn't matter what she did if she was following the Lord because His providence and His power and His promises would go with her. I just wonder how many of us are playing it safe, secure in what we can provide in our own power, in our own protection and not doing. I just 
I'm challenged by those words that she gave to American females, but it applies to all of us. How can we sit here knowing there are billions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus and feel comfortable in that? Shouldn't we do everything in our power to try, to try to take the gospel to them? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will stir the hearts of those of us in this room and online with a desire to see the nations come to you. Lord, to extend that worship, your name and your renown among the entire earth. Lord, we pray that you'll give us clarity on what that means for each of us individually and what that means for us as a congregation. Lord, I pray if there are those in this room that you are calling out to go, that you will make that clear to them. Lord, I pray if there are those that are here that have never accepted you as their Savior, that you would make them uncomfortable right now in a way that they know that is something they need to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.